Welcome to episode 10 of TASA's Inspiring Leaders Podcast. I'm Eric Simpson, and on today's episode, founder and CEO of engage to learn Shannon Burke discusses how district instructional leadership affects teacher efficacy and allows districts to maintain direction during times of crisis. Instructional leadership is critical if it is about true support and not about training. We'll also visit with Winters ISD Superintendent Sean Lehman and Director of Curriculum Kathy Horner about how their foundational work with E2L has produced sustainability in their district's transformation work. We are developing our own capacity so that at some point, which we hope is in the near future, we're hoping one more year that we'll be able to stand on our own. We've got a lot of show for you today, so we'll jump right into my conversation with Shannon Burke. As the founder and CEO of Engage to Learn, Shannon Burke has emerged as an industry thought leader of organizational culture, helping educators to utilize the tools of performance-based professional coaching and intentional design to elevate the performance of public school districts nationwide. Passionate about the equity of the learner experience, Shannon believes that neighborhood schools are the heart of a free and thriving society. With 28 years of K-12 experience, Shannon has led a thriving organization since 2011, that has partnered with 225 school districts, impacting over 2.3 million public education students to date. Shannon Burke, welcome to the Inspiring Leaders Podcast. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for having me. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the role that instructional support from district plays in teacher efficacy, as well as their ability to, to design learning for their students. Well, great question. I like that you use that teacher efficacy word, because I, you know, the research shows, and it's true that, you know, collective teacher efficacy is like the promised land for student outcomes. You know, if you want student outcomes, no matter what you want for learners, um, you know, you go through the process of ensuring that you have collective teacher efficacy. So that role of instructional leadership is really important. Even, even before COVID, there was such rapid change happening in the world around us in the context and education that even if you're a veteran teacher, you know, you, you really did still need some support to stay updated. As a general rule, I feel like the one kind of misunderstanding that we have in terms of instructional leadership is we think that the way to do that is through training. And the research is pretty clear that there's about 0% transfer from training to practice. So, you know, it's, it's very clear that that's really not the answer yet, you know, everywhere is this this constant churn of, you know, training on new initiatives, training on programs, which intuitively does not make sense in terms of creating teacher efficacy, just for the fact of it's a one size fits all solution. Right. And so knowing that people have different backgrounds and different needs, that can't be the answer. All that to say the instructional support and instructional leadership is critical if it is about true support and not about training. So, you know, I've actually said this over and over again. I'll say it again here. If we would take the money and time in education, if you just look at the whole industry, take the money and time that we spend on training and just stop doing it (laughs) and convert all that, you know, just completely stop and just convert all that to, you know, instructional coaching and support. um, It would change the face of education completely. Um, We've actually, in our organization, we've stopped doing training. I mean, we really just said, hey, we were doing it. We would never do training without coaching, but then we got to a place where we're like, I don't think we need training. You know, let's just, let's not even do it. 
um, because then we can save districts money and and save teachers time. How have you seen leaders need to adapt the ways they support teachers during this pandemic and leading up to the reopening? What we saw, uh, we were supporting like uh, 47 schools last year, and I think we have 53 this year districts, 47 districts last year, and I think 53 districts this year, all in Texas. People felt like we can't add any burden, any additional burden to the teacher's plates. So a lot of people were hesitant, you know, to move forward, like with anything, you know, yeah. just give them the basic training that they might need to, you know, get on their LMS or whatever it is. And I, I really like, um, actually, I was presenting it to Tasby with um, Dr. Dan Dukes and um, Dr. David Young from, from Abilene last week. And Dan said something that I thought was really, he said, the only effective PD right now is individualized coaching. And then I was talking with, um, actually with Dr. Wirtz from Arlington today. And he was mentioning, he said, you know, he said, I think individualized coaching right now is like therapy about practice. (laughs) And that's really what (laughs) we're seeing, you know, we're seeing like that it's a lifeline for people. And that once teachers have that, that lifeline of personalized coaching, they really appreciated it during this time. The study that you referred to a little bit earlier in, in our conversation about um, training being pretty much ineffective, um, there was there was that, a, I want to say it was from ASCD around 2009, and it was saying that um, these one-and-done trainings had virtually no uh, impact on actual practice from, from educators. Um, but then it went on to talk about uh, ongoing support, and it went on to talk about um, you know, learning in context. And it seems that whenever we look at your traditional in-service model, you see the training and that training, you may not actually need that skill till October, but you're experiencing that in August or, or gosh, June. Seems like the, the things that they did this summer were probably a little bit more in context just because they knew that reopening was going to be very different and they, and they were, you know, building their, their virtual toolbox. Yes. In terms of that study. There's another, there's a more recent study too by Brown University that found um, that ongoing job embedded support to be more effective than like 27 other interventions that they um, studied combined, including like pay for performance. And, and so there's been, there's been quite a bit of research that supported that, that topic. Um, but I do think that training is easier <laughs> you know, in terms of. Right. A solution. And I, and I think, I mean, I think you're right. You can't, you know, you wouldn't want to just put someone, you know, on a new LMS um, or, um, you know, on new software without any kind of introduction to it. We like to say an orientation, but yeah. to spend too much time on it, like you mentioned, it really doesn't make sense because it's out of context. Right. So, you know, even when they, someone's gotten training and that we've seen this to be true um, this fall as well, you know, they've gotten training on their LMS it's when our coaches go in to coach with them that they start asking the real specific questions about how they can use it, that they're able to help them, you know, figure out, you know, what to do. And that, and like one teacher said recently, she was like, I had all these tools in the toolbox, but I had no idea when to pull out each one, you know, <laughs> until I had the coaching to support that. Um, something else that went on this summer was about um, equity and thinking about the, the you know, the role uh, of, of schools and social justice. I'm curious if um, you feel like instructional support at the district level um, plays a role in in equity for for you know across a district. So, so the question about equity, I think this is you know we we um, looked internally at ourselves this summer as well, and we have we're 
we really thankful that we have such a diverse team. We've always said that great minds don't think alike, great minds think different, differently. And so those diverse perspectives has been really valuable to us. So we, you know, we got our team together and we said, Hey, look, we prize diversity. We have belief statements that have been our, on our website for years that say, you know, we believe in equity and we're, um, so what else could we do? And one of the things that we decided to do, and I'm really excited about it, is we took our set of best practice rubrics that we utilize with districts and we integrated culturally relevant pedagogy into those best practice rubrics. So when you're looking at how do I facilitate small group instruction or differentiation or formative feedback, it actually has you know, an equity lens built into the way I actually facilitate that and the questions that I ask and the, you know, the practices that I use to group students. So we just integrated it because um, we know that people, you know, are more likely to utilize it when it's integrated into their everyday practice. In education, we have the the most critical opportunity to have an impact on on equity that there is. And we define equity, of course, as like equity of the learner experience. So there's, you know, equity of giving everybody a device, right? That's, that's not, um, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to be able to acquire the skills and overcome the gaps um, just because they have a device. So the idea that they're going to get an experience that's going to allow them to do that. And I, and I absolutely think it's the responsibility of educational leaders to ensure that that's the case. It should not be the case that if I, you know, am, not scoring well on the test. I'm now in a remedial class that requires me to do worksheets and drill and kill. Um, and if I'm not, then I get to be in a class where I can use, you know, problem solving skills and collaborate with others and et cetera. You know, that is to me is the biggest inequity. And in, in as long as we don't allow certain learners because of test scores to have the experiences, you know, and the great thing is if we give them those experiences, we allow them to get those rich experiences. They actually will do better on the test too. So right. you know, they're going to acquire language at a higher rate. If they're collaborating with their peers, that need freeing it up, you know, um, bring up the classroom for that. So I do think it is the role of instructional leaders to support teachers in how to do it because teachers have a huge burden. There's so much that's on their plates and that they're, that they have the responsibility to do together. We can, we can realize equity in expectations for success for all learners as well as the experience that allows them to, you know, acquire the life-ready skills they need. You know, going back to that kind of idea of how much time it takes for for teachers, um, I feel like districts have really spent a lot of time crafting um, successful PLCs and supporting them on their campuses. Whenever everyone was kind of scattered during this time, what was the effect uh, of that on these teacher teams and PLCs? And then, you know, what's your advice for leaders who are trying to sustain that teacher um, true collaboration and learning? It's not just the burden of, of figuring out how to do remote or hybrid learning or, you know, asynchronous or synchronous, which everyone, please stop doing synchronous remote instruction. But anyway, that's a, sorry, that's another <laughs> side thing. It doesn't, whole group direct instruction doesn't work in the classroom and it absolutely doesn't work virtually. So take that burden off your plate. Um, but what, you know, I think that it's not just that burden that teachers had, but then also everyone's life changed. And I think any of those extra times that I'm not with kids, you know, it made it more difficult is it is, you know, what we're seeing like to say, okay, now let's all figure out how can we all get on for a PLC, right? 
Um, but we also know that, you know, collaborating with our peers is one of the most powerful ways to learn. And I think that um, people are finding ways to work it out, but it hasn't, you know, it's not the top priority because the top priority is trying to figure out a schedule that can work for survival. <laughs> um, one solution that we saw work really well, um, and actually last spring even, because we started, you know, coaching again in our districts on March 23rd, and we we're saying, okay, so how can we, you know, what, what do we need to do to be, you know, helping and, and being more adaptable? And really together with some of our district partners, we said, what if we took, you know, someone like the librarian on a campus, if you have a librarian, you know, assistant principal, et cetera, and kind of pull those resources and then find a way to make that almost like the funnel um, for all, you know, again, all kinds of tools and resources and curriculum and everything are being thrown at teachers. You know, here's this, here's this, here's this. So maybe make that kind of the funnel on a campus, you know, um, and in terms of the the actual like PLC structure, whether you're individually coaching or you're working facilitating a PLC, making sure that you are not kind of dominating the talk time. What we're seeing is really, you know, teachers, it needs to be about an 80% teacher talk and maybe 20%, you know, instructional support talk. And we actually have our people time themselves. <laughs> Because on video, you can, right? So you can record it and time it, you know, and see if that's working out. But the reason is because those structures that we've used that maybe we put a protocol in place, which I think is a great practice, but people need a little bit more of a need to know protocol now. They need to be able to ask their need to knows and get those need to knows answered either by their peers or the instructional support. But, you know, as much as possible, keeping a, a scheduled time so that it's not reactive and kind of crisis mode. Now I need help. It's a scheduled time that we can, you know, still count on that. I'm going to get those questions answered at this time. I think those are the, those are the keys to best practice in this environment that we're finding are working. You know, that, that's, you know, 80% of the, the districts in Texas really don't have a, um, a huge support system like what we see uh, in, in other districts, like in the, in, in the DFW area. So I'm curious, how do small, how do you, how can smaller districts, um, build successful instructional program, instructional coaching programs, excuse me, uh, and, and solid PLC practices, um, when their infrastructure doesn't necessarily have those supports, uh, built into it? Mm -hmm. A couple of things. One is, and this is, this is not just true in small districts. It's actually true in even larger districts that just pairing teachers. Um, you know, we'd like to call it a BTP, a better together partner, just pairing teachers up. But again, a couple of real um, solid kind of structural pieces that can work with that can make this work. So one, uh, ensuring that there's almost like a, a more of a standardized protocol for the conversation that we're going to have. So it's not just, you know, bantering. Right. Um, but there's a protocol for the conversation. And I do not mean a protocol like um, you know, I, there's a lot of focus, of course, on data driven everything. Um, and data is important. I believe in data informed conversations and data informed practice. I do not believe in data driven, um, anything because data is not the whole picture. Um, so yes, data should be part of the conversation, but a lot of times what we see is that people focus so long on data that they actually never get to anything in practice. So there's no, change in practice or there's no um there's nothing informing the practice it's just this constant analysis of the data um 
But so data should be part of that conversation and could inform it. But a structure that allows, you know, again, we use the grow model. It's in the public domain. It's what Google uses in a lot of other um, Fortune 500 companies. But it's a super simple, you know, set a goal, discuss the current reality, talk about options for, you know, the gap analysis, decide what you will do, and then what evidence would look like in practice. And that conversation you and I can have as peers um, you know, with me asking the questions first and you answering them and then vice versa. And then we learn from each other. And it's just really that opportunity for, you know, um, intentional, reflective conversation about practice that's going to help us, you know, move the needle and move and move things forward and enhance both of our craft. So I think pairing pairing people up and giving them a protocol, um, making that intentional, how they're paired. And then, you know, again, based on research and data, like it's, you know, you need seven of those proactive conversations in a year. I don't have to watch you teach. I don't have to come observe you to coach you. Um, you know, you know what you're doing in practice. You can share the evidence. We can we can talk about it when we get together, but I don't have to see you in practice. And so that shortens the coaching cycle significantly if you take all that piece of it out. And now it's just we're meeting seven times to have this conversation, share the evidence of our practice and and talk through it. The other thing I would say is, you know, there's a, you know, using some kind of professional learning standards that we can both work from. So it's not so much, you know, um, it's not so personal, but, you know, just best practice standards um, that we can that we can look at and and set our goals on and think about you know, something we can assess the evidence against together collaboratively, basically to make progress. Uh, we're working in, in both Dallas and Houston this year. And they've done some really, again, they're large districts, obviously, but they're looking at the value of teacher coaches. So creating positions where they have a teacher that teaches most of the day or part of the day, and then is freed up for a couple of class periods to be a coach for others. So you still have, you know, it's not a full FTE, but there's also value in the fact that that person is still in the classroom. So I think there's some different creative ways to look at that. But, and then the last thing I'd say is, you know, making sure there's some kind of recognition system in the district, no matter how small or large, that is a recognition system for growth and professional practice, because that's how we become a learning organization, right? Is rather than, oh, you're evaluated at the end of the year. Yes. Distinguished across the board, go to the next year at the end of that year, you know, some kind of recognition system for growth over time helps us all keep growing. And that's how we, you know, make sure that we're continuously on the, you know, on the cutting edge and doing the right thing for learners, even as the context around us changes. You're taking a very similar approach as the Jim Knight coaching approach um, for instructional coaching, where it's, it's, you know, it's definitely recognition, recognizing the um, power of peer coaching. Um, but it's, it's also really putting the person who's being coached in that driver's seat for for goals, for recognizing what they want to work on. It, it seems like there are kind of starting places within that E-Suite's work for instructional supports, for coaching, for, for PLCs. Can you talk to us a little bit about um, how a tool like that is, you know, kind of works differently in a small district versus a large district? Yes. Yeah, so philosophically, you're exactly right. We definitely believe that educators, you know, have really good brains in their head <laughs> and a lot of creativity and don't need to be driven, you know, or, you know, don't need to be um, scripted. But we do believe in protocols. 
So, you know, we do believe that a protocol, a good protocol is something that helps, um, you know, guide a conversation. And we actually created eSuite a long time ago. Now we, I mean, we started with a share site um, in 2011, and then it's basically been a place that's just been, it's crowdsourced for most of it. Um, resources that people found valuable. Um, there's units like 36,000, you know, mastery learning units in there. But the thing that we've put in there that's beneficial, I think, is a structure that you can use for that coaching conversation. And then you can gather, you know, a little data from that. And then those, those data points lead to badges um, aligned to those best practices. And what we've really tried to do with eSuite is we created something, you know, for our partners to use that we just put all the professional learning pieces in one platform. Um, and so, you know, they do find it very, very useful one to just see the clarity of, okay, here's all the research behind the best practices. And here's what these are as behaviors, because we're all about action. You know, what, what does that look like? So you tell me to differentiate, what does that exactly look like? And so, you know, there's a rubric that has all of the growth indicators that explain that exactly. And then as you're working with, whether it's your peer coach or another coach or whoever, however that is, or you can even self-assess in there and basically say like, check, check, check. Like I'm doing this, 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 and this, and you can even create a portfolio. Here's my portfolio of evidence. I think it's really, you know, we're big on professionalizing the profession. And um, again, that's a philosophical thing. Like, you know, um, teachers are professionals. And um, so that, therefore they don't need to be scripted and um, they can be empowered to, you know, work on their own practice with some tools that would facilitate that. And that's really what um, that's done. You know, this year um, we've said, Hey, what if we, you know, what if we allowed other districts or other teachers to use eSuite that weren't our current partners? Right. Um, this is the first year it's been kind of a standalone, yes. right? right. So this is the first year it's been standalone. Exactly. We do have, you know, a heart for the smaller districts that, you know, they can't afford um, coaching service from us either, you know? And so it's like, well, what if they had all the tools to be able to do it internally, you know? So that's kind of the other idea of that. So I think, you know, having a place to go, a person to go to, you know, um, where I can get my needs met and I can feel like in control of something again and, you know, not so overwhelmed, I think is really important right now. Well, Shannon Burton, thank you for, for being here. Very good. Well, thanks for doing this. I think this um, podcast is so great for educators across the state. And you always have really insightful questions and things that you're asking that I know are beneficial to people. So, Hey, thank you so much. We'd like to thank Engage to Learn for partnering with TASA to bring Shannon Burke to our show. Engage to Learn's newly available collection of instructional leadership resources, eSuite, is an all-in-one solution to help educators close gaps and accelerate learning. Get design tools, curriculum, and PLC resources, coaching support, and more to help teachers thrive virtually or in person. Visit engagetolearn.org forward slash eSuite for additional information and a free trial. Winters ISD began working with Engage to Learn during the 17-18 school year to construct the Winters ISD Future Leaders Learning Framework. We put a link in our show notes so you can see the document for yourself. This framework was built using stakeholder input from across the district and community. Like all strategic planning approaches, this is a multi-year effort to align the instructional philosophy of Winters ISD, and 1920 was supposed to be the first year for its full implementation. We'll hear how Winters has anchored their teacher support to this work and how they've used eSuite to build capacity while still being responsive to the multiple curveballs 2020 has flung their way. Sean Lehman, Kathy Horner, uh, thank you for appearing on the 
Inspiring Leaders podcast. Glad to be here. So, Sean, you are, uh, the, you're the superintendent. Uh, Kathy, you, you're the director of, of curriculum, and you were the, the Winters High School principal, Kathy. Is that right? Yes, that is, that is correct. I know that you, you worked with focus groups to, to get that data that um, Engage to Learn used to, to put together um, you know, the, a big part of that, that learning framework. Um, I'd, I'd like to start off with um, just exploring a little bit how Winters ISD has supported teachers in designing student experiences to make that Winters learning framework a, a reality. But also, how has that support had to adapt in the way that COVID has hit during, I guess, probably the third year of your implementation? Well, really and truly, this past year was our first full implementation year. They always allow you to have a planning semester prior to the implementation. So 1920 was our first year of implementation. And our best thing that I think we did as far as supporting our teachers and helping them grow as well as ourselves grow as leaders and administrators was the coaching aspect of it. The instructional coaching, we, we as in administrators, so principals, assistant principals, and uh, lead teachers and went through the Coaches Academy, we shadowed um, professional coaches so that we learned the right way to do things. We used the eSuite portal as a way to document everything that we were doing. And it's, it's also a succinct way to look at all the best practices and, and ensure that when we are watching a teacher teach, that we are coaching them along best practices. So if we're, we are seeing best practices, it's easily identifiable and you just mark it and then that's something that you can use as a bright spot when you're having a coaching conversation later. But also during that time, it's a way to um, let them self-assess. So they have a rubric and they can self-assess themselves, but then they have to provide evidence or tell you what evidence that they have you look at that to see if all of those things line up, and then you and the coach E can agree on what needs to come next, what needs to be strengthened, or what went really well. The coaches can also earn badges based on best practices that we see in their work. All of those things combine together to make, I think, a teacher feel confident that they are progressing and it also gives them an opportunity to ask questions and to reflect on the practice themselves. You all have uh, a little less than 600 students, I think. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, whenever you have a small district like that and uh, you, you, have a, you have a lean support staff, you have a lean central office, as, as all small <laughs> districts do, how has the eSuites program kind of allowed you to maximize your staff? And what have you noticed about... Uh, the, the engagement in coaching and, and lesson design with eSuites from that, that teacher leadership perspective? Well, number one, there is a valuable and vast amount of resources. There are already ready-made plans. There are examples. There are templates that they can use. There's rubrics. And that, all of those top things are going to help our teachers be stronger themselves. And what I really like about the Engage to Learn slash eSuite platform is that it really grows our teachers into becoming coaches themselves. We are developing our own capacity so that at some point, which we hope is in the near future, we're hoping one more year that we'll be able to stand on our own. 
And we will still continue to use the eSuite, though, because it does have all of our stuff already in there, all the winner's learning framework, the lessons that our own district has created. I think that our teachers have learned perseverance and they've learned how to change and adapt, but I think a lot of that has been because of their work and their coaching through E2L. Well, it's so important to have that foundational agreement about you know, your, your instructional philosophy. And so it seems like this, this program has helped you all really have, have kind of a common place to have these conversations, to um, house models. From a kind of a philosophical leadership perspective, Sean, I'm going to ask you, what, what, what effects have you seen um, as, a, as a district and campus leader? Well, you know, being new here, it's, it's, been, it's been a kind of a whirlwind ride so far with everything we've had. But, you know, just recently coming over from the campus administration side, I mean, the biggest problems that you have as a campus administrator is finding the time yourself as a, to be an instructional coach, you know, because you've got so many other things. And, and then setting your expectations a lot of times and trying to trying to keep everything together. And that's what really impressed me when I came to Winners is with this learning framework, we're able to keep that consistency and there's no, uh, there's no guessing, you know, they, they know what we want. Uh, you know, like Mrs. Horner was talking about with our templates on our uh, lesson plans and those type things. I mean, everything is there for them and there's, there's, there's no guessing when it comes to that. And then, by having your coaches, you know, someone other than just campus admin, sometimes if you're the campus administrator and you're doing all the coaching, uh, sometimes your teachers aren't as open with you because, uh, you know, ultimately, if, if you're the campus admin team, you're the one that's deciding whether or not they're still going to have a job in your district. And sometimes they're, you know, they feel like if they're having discussions with you and you're going through coaching things that, you might view them as being weak and that's, you know, that's never the case, but that's just kind of how it is. Well, I would, I would think that that stability um, coming in as a first time superintendent, that, that must've really been helpful in the transition uh, to your role as the, as the new superintendent in winters in February. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and having a, having your your support staff here with you, your team here with you, you know, pretty much keeping everybody that you had, uh, that makes it makes the transition much easier because, you know, they had been working very closely with E2L and, and implementation of all of this. And so it, it, you know, I wasn't the new guy coming in having to learn everything new. I'm, I'm the new guy that has these people that can, you know, like you said, being stability and, and the foundation that can show me exactly what's going on and, and you know, uh, keep, like you said, keeping that stability with the entire district. Well, Sean Lehman, Kathy Horner, thank you for taking the time to, to share this work with us. We hope that you have a, a safe and productive uh, 2021. Yes, sir. Yes, We're ready sir. for 2021. <laughs> yeah. We thank all of you for tuning in to the TASA Inspiring Leaders podcast. We'll have new episodes throughout the fall, so be sure to look for us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. Thanks to Chris Everett, Shannon Burke, and the whole team at Engage to Learn. And a special thank you to Kathy Horner and Sean Lehman from Winters ISD for sharing their experiences with us. Till next time, from all of us at TASA World Headquarters, stay safe and healthy.